Transformationist is dedicated to real stories of transformation and the insights and actions that make it possible. Our guests share from their own stories the strategies and experiences that can help you shape transformation in your own life. Whether you are changing your mind, responding to change, or designing a life different from what you have right now, my hope is that these stories will inspire you and help you on the way. Hi, I'm Tash McGill, and welcome to The Transformationist. One of the hot button topics of personal growth, development, transformation these days is mental wellness. It seems like we're more aware of it than ever before. Uh, And probably for good reason, there's more profile in the public space than there has been. And perhaps the subject that's been a little taboo in certain areas and something that you deal with by yourself rather than dealing with uh, in public has actually become uh, far more acceptable um, to confront, to talk about. And I think it's because we're trying to take care of each other. Somebody that's got a lot to say about that is today's guest. Um, Officially a keynote speaker, but most importantly, in my world anyway, has been a TUI award winning um, singer-songwriter. You teach, you write, and most recently, Julia Grace, you talk about mental wellness uh, and mental health, um, and you speak about it because of your own experience. So thanks for being being willing to come and join us on The Transformationist today. It's a pleasure. Nice to be here. So um, I want to go into the before because you, you've you come today happy to talk about the transformation that's happened in your world sure. based on something that actually happened to you. So would you have considered yourself, um, would you have considered yourself a person who was prone to, you know, struggling with mental health? I didn't think so, actually. And it's been really interesting at the moment looking back I guess doing the whole story. You know, when you go through stuff, you start again at the beginning and think, um, how, oh. did I end? <laughs> how did I end up here? So it's been actually interesting to stitch together some of the things from my earlier life and maybe some of those tendencies, the way my imagination runs away with me, the way right. I have the ability to, um, you know, close off little areas of my life and not think about them. And things that I thought maybe were just, habits or personality mm-hmm. I've probably realized later on that they are kind of part of my mental well-being but I hadn't thought about it like that before right. I certainly wasn't someone who thought um you know would never meet me and think oh gosh she's a bit of a Debbie Downer <laughs> I actually had the opposite problem and that I was just sort of floating along in a bit more la la if anything so I never really thought this was going to be me um or a tendency that I would have so an answer to that, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it was. It's interesting, you know, you talk about one of the immediate stereotypes that comes to mind yeah. and I think one of the reasons why mental health has been such a taboo subject uh, is this idea that nobody wants to be painted, as you say, Debbie Downer, yeah, that's right? right. That, yeah. that stereotype of somebody who's perhaps struggling with their own mental wellness yeah. is actually somebody who's just a bit sad and miserable all, all of the time. Yeah. And the other thing that you kind of touched on was, you know, our amazing ability to create narratives for ourselves, um, (laughs) to explain why things are happening or to explain why we are the way we are. Um, And we, you know, we talk about things like, oh, I'm just quirky like that. Or, you know, oh, I'm just, this is just kind of how I, how I deal with life. So tell me a little bit about what the narrative was for you um, leading up to this kind of realization of, oh, maybe this, maybe there's something going on <laughs> that's not perhaps what I thought it was. Yeah. I, th- I think it was kind of looking into, um, accepting that the things that were happening to me externally were actually changing me physically on the inside as well. And so I know for some people, mental wellness issues are things that they can identify from the get-go, from the beginning. You know, you meet little kids who clearly are dealing with a variety of issues, not just the ones, you know, not just the obvious ones. But because for me, it was something that was re-responsive or reactive to my life circumstances, um, I think one of the, the narratives was always, you know, I can get through this. I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm English. I keep calm and carry on. You know, we're, we're strong girls. I'm a, I'm a big girl. I'm mm-hmm. not a little girl. I'm not one of those little fragile flowers that people come and pick up and look after. I'm the girl that people say, oh, she'll be fine. 
Didn't you, know. you actually write a song called Beautiful Survivor? <laughs> I did. Damn it. <laughs> yes. And so my life's message of struggle makes you stronger has come and bit me in the butt many times over. You oh, kind of just opening the door. Practicing what I preach. I know. So I picked this theme of struggle makes you stronger and I just wish I'd picked money makes you happy because that would have been <laughs> so much more fun. But the narrative was is that mental wellness is a sign of weakness. And I think in my mind, that's what it was. So, you know, mental wellness issues. If you've got mm-hmm. a problem with your brain and, or how it works, A, it's it's spiritual. Right. Or B, you're just a bit of a muppet. You can't kind of, you know, handle the jandal, as mm-hmm. we would say here in New Zealand. <laughs> can't quite pull yourself together no, and just get over quite it. hold it. Um, or you're just, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not strong enough to deal with what's been thrown at you. And so my, my narrative would have been, um, oh, come on, what, you know, what's what's wrong with you? I'm okay, why can't you get through this? And so as I went through kind of more and more um, external difficult experiences, I had to acknowledge that actually things were changing in my brain. And I think one of the things that I've had to come to terms with is that even though now I've come out of those traumatic times, my life is, you know, pretty fantastic. There's so many great things. I don't think I'll ever be the same. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever go back to being the same. And part of that is cognitive change. Part of that is just, you know, growing growing up and getting older. But I think part of that is also admitting some of the things that I had going on in my personality, perhaps before I even had this happen to me. Okay. So let's talk about what happened because mm. uh, it's probably really more a case of not just, you know, one thing that happened, but yeah. several things that happened in a row that uh, that were all from different circumstances in different mm. places, but then kind of uh, created, created the circumstance of where change was necessary yeah. or addressing something was necessary. So where did it begin? Um, you know, what were those, what were those pivotal moments where you had to somehow um, change in response to what was happening externally? Yeah. I think initially, if you look at it, it was marriage breakdown for me was kind of the, the I guess, the catalyst for the next phase of mm-hmm. my life. Um, there were many things that happened in the years leading up to that, that, that were growing in that direction. Um, but I was substantially very happy with a fantastic family, a beautiful marriage and, and home. And everything was just pretty, um, pretty cut and dry as far as the future held. It didn't mean everything was perfect, but it meant that I kind of knew where I stood, who I was standing with and, and mm-hmm. who was going to be with me in the future. And when that changed suddenly, um, I think it threw me for you know a long period of time. And I look back now on my, my understanding of how our brain reacts during traumatic experiences. <laughs> I talk a lot when I'm speaking about the lizard brain, you know, mm. that part, that reptilian, that deep-seated part of our brain that goes into fight or flight mode. Yeah. You know, and the only way to deal with a lizard is to pat it. You can't train it. You can't really, you know, have a deep theological discussion with it. You just pat it on the head and say, your life is not in danger. So that lizard I call Pat. Um <laughs> And Pat rears his little head many times in my life. And so I went into a phase where I was probably functioning out of that fight or flight mode. Pat the lizard was pretty much running my world for a good few years. Um, And so because of that, I feel like um, just the stress level went up and up. And so as you say, a whole lot of things happen around circumstances like that, dealing with just a whole lot of different, you know, all the obvious things that you can imagine having to happen. And so as that went along, I continued this narrative of, I'm strong, I'm mm. fine. I went to the doctor early on in the piece and said, you know, I'm, I'm crying every day and uh, have I got depression? And she sort of asked me a great list of questions and said, you know, no, I don't think you do. And so I came back home, I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> strong. I don't even, you know, I don't have these problems. And and uh, yeah, even then I think, gosh, how, how arrogant of me to think that I'd nailed it. And nothing was ever going to go wrong. (laughs) So it was a long, slow progress of actually admitting that we are not bulletproof. Mm. Do you think you were really in a place where you, prior to to the marriage breakdown happening, and obviously, Mm. you know, that, like, 
something like that is a concrete foundation. If you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you you have a partner, you have love and security, you have a family. At that point, you know you've got a home, so you've got a roof over your head. Yeah. You're you know you've got you've got money coming in, so the bills are getting paid. Um, there's food. There's you know all of those basics are kind of covered. Mm. And the breakdown of the the breakdown of a marriage in a family unit actually throws all of those things up into question. Mm. So it's no surprise that you know outcomes yeah. outcomes the lizard, right? Yeah. <laughs> because all of the, where am I going to live? Yeah. Um, how am I going to manage my finances? Yeah. What does this mean for the structure of love and security in my life? Mm. They're all up for grabs. So yeah. of course the brain is put into some incredible stress. Yeah. Um, so then people talk often in those circumstances about resilience. Mm. Um, and one of the things I've always been fascinated by is how do you develop resilience without going through hardship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. And so did you feel, looking back, yeah. do you feel like you had had you been set up, had you had experiences that, pre- that had prepared you for that? Or was this the first time that you had allowed yourself to actually, you know, f- face mm. face the face the lizard, so to speak? Yeah. <laughs> Love that lizard, good old Pat. Um, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. And I actually remember you talking to me about... Turning the tables About a bit of a concept, which I sort of then took on in my head. And I, I imagined a, a, a chest of drawers, and then if you whichever drawer you pull out, anything above that will crumble down to that point, and anything below will remain strong. And that really stuck in my mind. And so I think um, what I did realise was that my personal identity, my ability to believe in myself, the way I felt about who I was, how I looked, um, my job, my ministry, all those things remained perfectly stable. So they were under Mm -hmm. that. Um, that family or marital status and my my faith was under and those things were under mm-hmm. and so anything above that um, that relied on that well, those were the things that I feel like I wasn't prepared so much to deal with so I didn't have this feeling of oh my goodness you know who am I or you know no nobody likes me or where do I fit in the world those things weren't so bad mm-hmm. and I think one of the reasons that the resilience was there was because I'd somehow managed to develop those things independently mm. of being mm-hmm. married. Even though I had been with my husband for 23 years, I still right. had this independent part of me. And I think that's just, I don't know, the family I'm from. or um, right, yeah. yeah. And also the fact that he was very supportive of what I did and we were very um, equal in our marriage. It wasn't a marriage where I was subservient in any way, shape or form. And so because of that, I had a strong identity. I think what I wasn't prepared for was um, the feeling that I had married my childhood sweetheart. And so I was just convinced, you know, who's ever going to love me? Who's ever going to? Yeah. And um, so this little feeling, um, you know, you go back to those childhood things and, and going back and writing that my first ever boyfriend I thought had two-timed me, as we said in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I'd had this little 14-year-old girl had a, had a thought in her head that you're lucky if someone likes you and mm. eventually they will leave. And um, I kind of lived that out. And I found out later it wasn't even true, so I sort of had to go back and rewrite. rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite a, it was a strange thing to do. But, yeah, just this feeling that, you know, you're lucky if someone is with you. And they love you for who you are. And um, if you don't play your cards right, it, it won't work out in the long run. And it's a scary thing to live in um, for a long time. And that's not an indication on my husband specifically or anything like that. I think that was just mm. something that I had, you know, believed in myself. But well, the things through that we all pick those up. circumstances. Yeah, yeah and a variety of things up. before we were married and stuff. Yeah. They just, they can hook in. And then you can live years and years without them being relevant or necessary, right? Because you move into that relationship and that doesn't necessarily, after 20 odd years, that doesn't become the primary narrative, you know? You're not necessarily walking around going, better be a good wife today so he doesn't walk out the door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but but it's interesting, I think, how they can come flooding back, and then you have to deal with whether or not they're true yes, or not yeah. when when the circumstance changes. Yeah. So uh, in those initial uh, weeks and months, you feel like you're doing okay. There's a lot mm. of tears, but that's mm. natural. It's a grief yeah. process. Yep. Um, so, but but things didn't continue like that. So yeah. how, you know, what was going on when that when that 
kind of next stage of, oh, wait, hold on a second, I'm um, perhaps on a slippery slope. Yeah, (laughs) great question. Um, My life has sort of been defined by many um, second, second time around being the big hitter. And so things have happened to me where I've, the first time around, I kind of, I jump up off the floor pretty quickly and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. It's all right, guys. And then if it, if something then happens um, subsequently, I start finding like, jeepers, I don't know if I can get up so much from this. And it, it's had a variety of things happen. I had heart surgery and the first time around, I was like, sweet as didn't work, had to have it done again. Second time, it kind of knocked me mm. flat a little bit. And so um, first, you know, first big relational, um, you know, I became divorced and that that I was like, you know, I'm sure I can I can get through this. And, you know, I was absolutely devastated, but you have that feeling of, oh, life goes on. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I was in a, another relationship with someone who I think really created a new possibility for mm. me, a, a a a big creative, a big talker who talked up a big story. And I think I was looking at that point, really looking for that feeling of this is the thing that will make it all make sense. Right. This is the aha. This is the relationship that will make me look back on all the pain that I've been through and gone, oh, you know, everything happens for a reason. (laughs) You know, this is the reason. I think Rascal Flatts has a lot to answer for when he wrote that song, Bless the Broken Road, and created this idea that somehow all of the heartbreak that anybody goes through, all of the bad relationships, the the shitty circumstances, the Mm. whatever, that somehow that's all like predestined and planned to lead you to the one that you'll be so, (laughs) that you will be so grateful for by the time you get to the end of that, like I've been beaten down by love yeah. scenario <laughs> yes. you'll be so grateful for that person yeah. that you'll be like it was worth all of the pain oh, to, yeah. yeah if only I'd known all along I would have mm-hmm. been embracing it every step yeah. of the way absolutely yeah. was that where you were at <laughs> yeah it was very much like finally this thing is going to make sense and I think the first time you know where that stuff is sort of bashed out of you by circumstances of life you sort of you pick yourself up and think oh no it's okay god I forgive you and you know it's it's all right I'm, I'll be fine and, and I'm sure there's a better plan and you know and but still holding on that some of those words you know the one mm-hmm. the plan the the somehow you know we were cr- created to be together you know all these sort of things oh that's called the fairy tale oh the fairy tale yeah and so I think I I really um I believed that and then when that you know, was pulled out from underneath me, I struggled to let go of that. So I then believed it again very strongly. Mm-hmm. And I believed it in a relationship with someone who said, you know, point blank, you know, God made us to be together. <laughs> and and to a broken hearted, um, fundam- you know, ex-fundamentalist. Right. There is no more intoxicating words mm-hmm. than like you know you you follow me and and, and you'll be in the, the the will of god <laughs> you know that's well, a, when somebody turns yeah, up and says like, hey you don't even have to ask the question am i your knight in shining yeah, armor yeah. when they say i am yeah. the knight and i'm here to rescue you from the <laughs> castle yes, yeah, yeah 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 and so while i had created a a great life for myself um, there was a level of, you know, fantasy in that relationship that was just sort of a bit out of this world. And that was very short-lived. It burnt, burned hot. It was like, and then it was gone. And so he um, pulled another rug out from under my feet. And I think that was like that second, that that last, you know, like mm. the, I say it's like the the four by two that broke the camel's back, um, <laughs> you know. And I feel for, for him in that, he just, it was time and place because it had been another time he could have done exactly the same thing and I probably would mm-hmm. have been fine. I think it's just taught me about being kind mm-hmm. and careful to people about where they are as well as who they are because where they are can deeply affect their response yeah. to your actions. It's Absolutely. not, you know, you could do the same thing to someone two days in a row and one day it will crush them and the other day they'll they'll mm-hmm. shake it off. So, yeah, time and place, and um, I think uh, I, I ended up going away on a holiday 
the next day and my beautiful friend Jen came with me and I cried. I cried everywhere, man. I cried in the pool. I was in Bali. I, I cried in the pool, under the pool, around the pool, by the pool. I was the pool. I contributed <laughs> to the pool. I cried on the jet ski. I cried on the bus. I cried into my salad and my cocktails. Um, you know, the bar opened at 10. I was there at 5 two ordering on the, you know, it was mm. just, um, it was, it was just horrendous, but it was understandable. And I came home from that um, to having to sell a rental property, on, you know, mm-hmm. with with my ex-family, but on my own substantially, and then to look to buy a property and just big, big exciting things that are also very, very stressful. And I began to realise that I was burning very hot and very cold. Mm. So I was starting to have these huge bursts of energy up all night scrolling through Trade Me, which is, I don't know what the international term for that would be like, being on Craigslist. Craigslist, yeah, and yeah. looking for a home. And, um, you know, four in the morning, um, still wide awake and wired, and then being awake for two or three days and then just absolutely falling apart and just going very, very beige mm. and very burnt out on the inside. And so I started to recognise these behaviors that were normal for me I get really excited and then I go quite quiet but they started to really start to go to the end of the spectrum so my normal excitedness was getting a little too excited. manic I was yeah. going yeah I wasn't up till midnight I was now up till 4am and I was quite you know um I don't want to say obsessively because that's not it wasn't you know the right terminology but it felt like an obsessive behavior mm. and then when I was feeling flat I was feeling flatter. And so I started to sort of feel um, less and less and less rather than more and more and more. And I think one of the feelings with, with depression is we think, oh, they're sad people. And, you, you know, we said that at the beginning. They're the sad people, the, the people that cry a lot or the people that, you know, can't get out of bed or whatever. I didn't feel very sad. I just felt very nothing. Yeah. Then just I've, nothing. I've, I think numbness is the thing to be cautious of yeah right yeah like it's and it's it's one of the things that I monitor in myself Mm. um if I you know there I went through a period of time where where um you know and kind of processing some major changes that had happened I just felt like I would describe it to people as you know normal used to be up here at about like a seven yeah and the new normal is kind of down here at about a four yeah and and it's just flat and consistent yeah but sometimes that's easier to manage than you know, the big ups and downs. For me, mm. that's become a sign of if things get flat and consistent mm. and the numbness starts to creep in uh, and I can't get excited or terribly sad about anything, yeah, that's yeah. when I go, oh, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. yeah time I should to, be crying right now. Yeah, yeah well, time to eat be. some spinach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I remember saying to, to the doctor when I did go in that phase, I said my, my bar for normal is, is well below what it would normally be. Mm. So the, the feeling to which I sort of settle to when I'm just kind of like meh, whatever yeah I exactly that had had gone from you know I was a straight seven out of ten and I was sort of circling around a three and a half to four Mm. um and people began to recognize externally yeah so I had three situations um my daughter Bella who obviously is very insightful and sees me you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the time said to me at Christmas um the year before she said to me um mum it's like you're not even here and I was really hurt by the statement because I felt like I was trying my best, you know. So I gave the speech, the mm-hmm. mother speech, where we throw back our hair and we put our hand on our forehead and say, if you had any idea the stress I was under. <laughs> Have you ever heard that speech? Uh, maybe oh, just once or 15 once. times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've all heard it. We've probably all given it. It achieves nothing, but it's really cathartic. But I remember thinking, oh, my you know, and I came away from that and I thought, you know, that girl knows you really well. Mm. And she's recognising that something's missing, something's not quite right. And then um, another friend of mine who's dealt with huge mental wellness issues sat down with me and he was just like, you're not your normal self. You need to go to the doctor, look me in the eye, you know. And he said to me, no one's going out on my watch mm. with a British accent. <laughs> no one's going out on my watch, you know. And I remember being quite, taken aback mm-hmm. I'm a Kiwi we keep calm and carry on we don't tell people the you know but but I'm really grateful that he was gutsy enough 
mm. to not even know that that was extremely rude and not the right thing. <laughs> no, it was definitely the right thing to say. And then the third thing was I went to see my accountant and she, I walked in, I've seen her probably once a year for 15 years. And I walked in and she said, oh, you're not your normal self. Mm. And I thought, you know, if your accountant is picking up on your emotional cues, <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> so she was the last straw. Yeah. And so at that point I realized I needed some help mm. well beyond what I could do just by picking myself up by my bootstraps. Hello, Transformationists. I hope you are enjoying this episode with Julia Grace. Her story is uh, remarkable, but also really common to what so many people experience in day-to-day life. So I hope that you enjoy it. I just wanted to interrupt briefly to say thank you so much for your ratings, your reviews. Thank you for subscribing and for sharing because these stories, I want to be meaningful and the way they become meaningful is through engagement and conversation. So thank you for being part of it. I'd love to encourage you to join us over in the Facebook group uh, and also on the website, thetransformationist.org. Subscribe there to the mailing list and you can get even more great content uh, and discussion about what's going on. Some of the conversation going on uh, in the next couple of weeks in the Facebook group is going to be all about this idea of deconstructing and reconstructing. So I'd love you to give your input and insight. Just search for the Transformationist podcast with Tash McGill on Facebook. See you over there. Meanwhile, enjoy this episode. When you make that change from being the person who is, I mean, and this was obviously not a conscious change, Mm. um, that slide from, oh, come on, she'll be right, I'm going to pick myself up and carry on, I'm a survivor, cue Reba McIntyre. When you move from being that kind of person into then you know, being less of that person and not being the pick yourself up and carry on and and getting a little bit numb and, you know, maybe isolating in different ways, you know, from yeah. the usual behaviour. Um, how did people respond to you? Were you even aware of what what was happening in your in your external circles? It's an interesting one because while those people are changing around you, you're also in a really mm. sort of numb state. So in many ways, I I can't even remember. Mm. Um, I look back now and I think that's, a, I've never thought of it like that. So the question's making me think, you know, immediately I have to say they were amazing because they were there. Mm-hmm. So people were around me um, and they continued to show huge levels of support and love. And if, if, if having people around to support is the sign of resilience, then I was on it, you know, 100% because I had so many people who I could really trust. But um, they can only help you to the level at which you share with them. So while I was just kind of not even really knowing what was going on, only probably a few people would have recognised that anything was a little bit different. I'm good at just sort of having fun and being out. You know, I didn't go out when I wasn't feeling great. Mm. I think one of the things I struggled with is that when you go through difficult times, people will, they have enough energy to, you know, really walk with you Mm. through a, a, a certain amount of time. And then after a while, that, you know, they sort of run out of, <laughs> runs out of steam. It's hard to be nice. You know, it's hard to be sympathetic to someone not for marino- forever. Yeah. And so for me, I, um, I'm acutely aware, I think, of how other people view me. I've had to learn to not worry about it so much, but I'm really aware of how I come across to the point where sometimes I'll say, oh, I'm fine, 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 because I don't want to come across as needy or you know, but useless. Mm-hmm. I want to come across as being strong and in control. And so I was always very aware that I, you know, I didn't want to use up too much <laughs> of people's energy and you sort of get sick of hearing your own sad story. Right. You know what I mean? And so for me, when I first went through Great Crisis, I know that there were, you know, people like yourself who would sit and listen to me just rave on <laughs> for hours about the latest chapter <laughs> of my terrible sad story <laughs> to the point where I got sick of hearing my own voice. Mm. And I got sick of hearing about it. And so I sort of kept thinking, oh, no one's going to, no one's going to want to, you know, keep on hearing about this. And I think mental wellness um, becomes difficult because it's not just a one-off thing. You don't break your arm and then everyone's nice to you and then it heals and now we're fine. Um, It's something that's ongoing. Mm. So it's very tempting to go, um, I'm just not going to talk about it anymore because everyone's sick of hearing 
you know, oh, God, here she goes again. You right, know, it's like, yeah. I've got a sore knee. You know, how many times do we have to hear about that stupid knee? It's like, oh, I've got depression, you know, how many times? You know? And so I think what we can tend to do is um, just cover it over because we feel like we're putting people into a difficult position. And so I think at that time, I'd already had so much sympathy and so much help, and everyone had been so nice to me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, guys, I've got another problem. <laughs> I just felt like the problem child. You know, here's, here's my next drama. And oh. so that became something that I didn't really want to go around, you know, telling. And so funnily enough, I will tell everybody else. Yeah, I'll stand up on stage to mm-hmm. thousands of people and tell them all about it because it's, interesting and informative and entertaining and I'm changing their life but I would find it very hard just to tell one of my girlfriends I'm feeling a bit depressed yeah because I'm kind of like oh here she goes again so (laughs) get the violins out so there's a couple of things in that I want to come back to what it's like to make that what it's like to take that journey as a performer Mm. because I think there are increasingly there are stereotypes in the common narrative around what that's like as a performer. But first, I'm curious, and you can tell me to pull my head in if you like. (laughs) Thank you. But, but, I mean, you're a very cognizant person. You are very self-aware and you're aware of others. Um, Did you feel somehow like it was difficult to say, hey, you know, I know that I kind of managed my marriage breakup you know, I yeah. know I know I kind of was okay through that, yeah. but actually this breakup with my with my boyfriend is actually somehow worse. Yeah. That did, was, did you that feel was like hard. that scale of judgment on like what was the more significant crisis? Yeah, and it was it was kind of like um yeah, the weird thing it was like um you know, blow me up with an atomic bomb and I've repieced myself. Mm. You know, um light a match behind me and I'm having a heart attack <laughs> and it was sort of um but but the, the match came after the atomic bomb. And so therefore the person who was dealing with that boyfriend breakup mm. was someone who had suffered yeah. the trauma beforehand. Yeah. And so had that happened in isolation, I mean, I would have been ter- you know, devastated and sad and you know, all the things we do when these things happen, but it was a cumulative effect. And so mm. I often say, you know, watch out for the watch out for the quiet ones who are dealing with what I call pebbles. Right. Just day-to-day stuff and it's embarrassing to admit that the fact that you um you know you something relatively minor has happened and it has really you know caught you unawares because you think I should be able to deal with this Mm -hmm. but it's not that it's that plus that plus that plus that and all the other things that get put together so I think admitting that it wasn't while it was quite yeah bizarre that I was so hurt it was very much the last straw mm-hmm. which followed on from all the other straws. Yeah. yeah. I think I mean I am a huge fan of transformation. I mm. think transformation is meaningful and valuable and that you know if we can remain in a posture of learning about ourselves and the world around us mm. then that's actually you know a meaningful way of being the best human we can be. Mm. But I think one of the challenges of transformation is that uh, we can do we can do this kind of transforming, changing work within us, and the and the initial stages of transformation are not always positive. Mm. You know, sometimes we have yeah. to get very raw and shed some skin and some old you know stuff mm. before we can kind of become stronger and more comfortable in, in the newness. But I think one of the challenges with transformation is that we have a reliance as social creatures on trusting other people to change the narratives they have for us <laughs> yeah. so that as we experience transforming stuff yeah. that we actually are changing as people and we are perhaps not the same person that they encountered you know yeah. 10 years ago yeah. whether that's as a performer on stage mm. or even 3 years ago or last week as mm. a friend sitting down over over coffee and I think that's one of the hardest pieces, particularly when you start to talk about how men, how dealing with mental wellness mm. can impact and change people yeah. to say, hey, our responsibility is not just to be supportive, but yeah. actually to, you know, somehow encourage and welcome and become understanding of the new narratives, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that Julia, strong survivor, pick herself up, carry on, yeah. you know, make a good deal out of it on any given day is not the same person now mm. because circumstances have changed yeah. and you're going to be hopefully more yourself, are more yourself, yeah. but the process of getting there is a wholly different piece. Yeah. 
And I've wondered in reflection as to whether or not that's one of the reasons why mental wellness issues are in fact so hard for us to deal with as a society. Because we, other people struggle to yeah, to change their story on us. Yeah, I think because sometimes I think particularly for women, we're quite good at reinventing ourselves after crisis. You know, you, you, you meet a girl with a haircut. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, we've had a break up here, have we? You've lost some weight. You've, you've been at the gym. You, you know, I heard the other day just a young, you know, like a young couple that's broken up first thing. She's, she's like, oh, she's doing really well. She's got a new job. She's off at the gym. I was like, of course she is. She is taking mm-hmm. in some ways this opportunity to take the power back, you know, and, and we express ourselves in that way and you can, you know, the, the newly broken up girl's usually looking amazing because she's just trying to find yeah. some control over something in her life. So I think we're probably relatively good at doing that, but then whether other people come along with us, mm-hmm. um, you know, on that journey and allow us to grow and change and transform can be a different story. One of the things that I have had to really change and transform my thinking about is this concept that um, having really, you know, emotional ups, downs, ins, outs, you know, depression, anxiety, panic, we see them so negatively because they're painful. They can they can feel awful and they can affect our health and our relationships and our well-being. But they're also quite beautiful. Mm. And that's the strange thing is because for me beforehand, we talked about, you know, you said just sort of got that that straight seven, seven out of ten, you know, that feeling of, of being a little bit flat. And if there was anything you could have thrown at me earlier, um, would have been that I didn't really feel a whole lot. Mm. I wasn't ever really down, but I wasn't like ever really, I was just fine. I was fine. You know, I was like a... Won another songwriting know. award. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah cool. Just, you know, it was fi- fine to, fine to, you know, okay. And, and, and it wasn't, just like oh I'm just okay it was just I'm fine everything was just kind of fine and Mm. I think um having gone through stuff that's forced me to go from you know one day I'm nine out of ten to the next um one out of ten and 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 everything in between um I've learned that it's okay to feel all those things and by uh, extrapolating my mental health from my spiritual health it's been a very powerful thing to actually go, you know what, um, I believe in spirituality, I believe in those things, it's a wonderful thing, but this is my brain, and this is my brain reacting to stress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Pat's freaking out, and I'm standing in the supermarket having a little panic, that doesn't mean that the devil's chasing me down the aisle. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, some weird thing's going on, it just means that my brain is responding in a really normal way to the stress that I'm under and I just need to take a deep breath and I'll be fine. So actually pulling those things apart and realising on any given day, yeah, I will feel up, down, you know, a huge variety of emotions and that stuff has only come through what I've been through. So that's the weird love-hate relationship with that. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Ah, I see now all the colours. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I don't want to see those ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was that really necessary? Did yeah. I need that shade of olive? Yeah, Did not I? So no, no. Mustard. No. So talk to me about the journey as a performer because yeah. you are by trade mm-hmm. in a funny way, you know, the the trade of a the trade of a musician, of any kind of performer, storyteller, mm. writer, whatever. Yeah. Is somehow pulling enough authenticity out of an experience or a story yeah. to make art out of it, yeah. but then distance ourselves enough from it that we don't have to relive that pain over <laughs> and over again. Yeah. And so part of that is we become really good at creating authentic masks for ourselves. Yeah. Like yeah. we turn up on stage, yeah. we turn up to the radio booth, yeah. you know, whatever it is, we turn up and we're entirely our real self, mm. but just disconnected from that particular story that we're telling. So mm. we're able to laugh about it or mm. what have you, and we don't live in the misery. Mm. Um, uh, Jeff Crabtree talked about um, Sting actually, and how Sting talks about that experience of no, of course I don't feel the emotions of yeah. every song when I write it because if I did, how could I sing it every yeah. night over and over again? <laughs> I'd be devastated. Um, yeah, you know, so so there is that experience. But for you, you never stopped. There wasn't a point where um, you stopped being 
you know, a person who was getting up on stage and mm. performing and singing and telling your story and even telling your story sometimes as it was happening. Mm. Um, how was that process for you of dealing with your mental wellness whilst, you know, being up on stage and, you know, the the, the kind of person that people pay tickets to come and be entertained by? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful that everyone was really nice to me. Um, I think I, I was aware through the whole process that I was living on a, you know, on a knife's edge of that I could have gone too far, um, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful that people were, they were nice to me and if they weren't, they didn't tell me, which was right. great. You know, if I, if I took it too far um, or was a bit too honest in any setting, nobody sort of, you know, maybe they just didn't invite me back. But um, <laughs> I wore um, leather pants to a Seventh-day Adventist event and they didn't invite me back either because they're vegetarians. But anyway, that was that's by the by. But um, I... It was an interesting one because I felt like the only thing I really have to offer is my authentic self. Mm. And so every time I got up, I I was like, I just actually have to be me. And I and I sometimes I would think, Oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't talk about it, but I just kinda can't. It's like you know what it's like, truth serum. As soon as people start listening, you start start showing off and start telling things and then they like it and then you say more and then they opened up and I think the first night that I talked about my divorce my divorce they talked about having been divorced from I um I felt really like uh oh this is you know this lovely conservative Christian ladies group and I thought well, I just got to say it so I, I said it and then the queue to talk to me afterwards was out the door and I just thought half this room has been through um, mm. You know, a marriage breakup, a marriage crisis, um, and then the other half have somebody in their world who's going through it, and most of them were just saying, "Just thank you so much for talking about it." See, and so that kind of feedback was really encouraging. See, I would have in that moment been terrified. I just would have thought, "Oh my goodness, I've shared a story of what's happened, and now all these people are queuing up to give me advice that I am <laughs> yeah. not interested in." Yeah, <laughs> and I would have hightailed out the back to, door. Oh, I know. <laughs> I spoke once at a. Um, a singles event <laughs> and I made a joke about I made some oh you know I have to always start with a disclaimer that most of the things I say I'm being silly but I made some joke about um the fact that marriage was like a cactus because you know you're just like looking at it you don't want to give it any attention and um this man came up to me afterwards and he said I think I know what your problem was and I think I know why your husband left you <laughs> and I was like Okay, bro, I think we need to, like, A, not talk anymore, but B, I was joking, you know. Yeah, I was, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, people do like to do that. But I became aware that when I was honest, um, people just responded to the honesty and I gave them permission to be able to say, um, now I'm going to jump on the bandwagon, but the concept of me too, you know, obviously completely different circumstances, but mm -hmm. that's been that thing of actually going, if one person will speak of their painful experience then someone else, it's nowhere near as hard for them to come along and say, oh, by the way, me too. Mm. I don't have to tell my whole story. All I have to say is, yep, I'm in that boat. And so each one of those things, and obviously that is just, you know, a huge, hugely different thing and incredibly um, separate in many ways. But that thing of actually going, I think in life, we need somebody to tell the story initially so that the others don't have to. Mm. get up and say I know that I am gifted in a way of the ability to get up tell my story cut to the bone and be fine mm. I, I've learnt um, that I need support in that I've learnt that I need people around I'm, it's, I'm on a real journey of you know I need um, people around me in that to actually recognise that that's actually a really vulnerable place to be and mm -hmm. that's been a humbling experience you know for me so um, I'm married now and the man I'm married to understands because he's the one that deals with me later right. if I'm overly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So he's the one that sees when I'm very vulnerable on stage that I actually need time and space. Now me, I'd be up there going, I'm fine. I can talk to everybody. <laughs> I can counsel everybody. I'm here for you all. I'm not too proud. I don't think I'm anyone special. I'll mm -hmm. stay here for four hours and talk to you if I need to. And then he will come in after the first hour and be like, babe. Time to go. You need to. <laughs> <laughs> you need some sleep. Yeah, so having other people that recognise those things is really helpful. But just, I think, actually going, you know, perhaps this is, I'm okay to do that. And then other people can come alongside. So for me, talking about mental health issues, mental wellness, 
I'll talk about it. And it's almost like you could have a show of hands of me too in the room, you know, mm. of people going postnatal depression, um, you know, hormonal difficulties, people who've had uh, bipolar their whole life or people who've been, you know, this lovely, you know, perfectly relatively sane person and hit menopause and just gone, mm-hmm. you know, really struggled and just all these different things or young girls that are dealing with depression thinking I'm stuck, I'm never going to change and introducing them to the idea that they will grow resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know how some of those things will So so morph. let's talk about your let's talk about your growing through it then. Mm. Um so you know in the in the storyline here we are. Yeah. Um we know that there's kind of a happy ending or at least there's a happy next chapter. Yeah. Um so congratulations <laughs> yeah, <thank> on you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that new so, match. Yeah. Was he worth all the pain and suffering before? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but the um, so what I'm interested in though is what when you realised actually this is a mental this is a mental wellness issue. Yeah. This is where I'm at. Um, were you proactive in saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do to try and you know get myself back to health? Mm. Did you rely on other people? You know, what was that process for you? And what have you learned in it that you're now trying to share with others you know to create a better culture around this issue yeah I think I I knew some generalized things about health so I kind of knew that you know it's good to exercise and it's good to eat well and it's good to you know all the stuff that we kind of know it's good to get outside and all the things your mum would have told you Mm. you need to get some fresh air (laughs) you know we need to open the curtains you know all the the old wives tales that are actually Mm -hmm. really quite smart the problem was is that if you're having just a bit of a down day, you can self-diagnose and self-medicate quite easily. You can go, right, I need to, I'm recognising a bit of flatness here, um, so I'm going to put some of that pl- into place. When that has tipped over into you know, more diagnosable or clinical depression, my brain is saying, okay, I need to do these things, but my ability to get up and do that is impaired mm. so it's like suddenly the the person I, I liken it to someone you know one person goes to a run they come back with some sore muscles they're like ow 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 um, you know hot bath cold shower I'll go for another run tomorrow next person does the same thing comes home with a broken ankle <laughs> we're going to need a bit more you know hot bath cold shower ain't going to cut it we're going to need to get yeah. some medical help third person will go same run comes home discovers that they've got arthritis <laughs> you know um, it's in their DNA, they're probably going to have to find another form of exercise. And so how we respond actually depends on how bad it is. And so it got to the point where it was beyond, even though in my head I knew I needed to go for a walk and open the curtains, a cup of tea and a lie down wasn't going to cut it. So I had to get some medical intervention. In every other part of my health, when it's gotten bad, I've gone to the doctor. Mm-hmm. I haven't tried to fix my heart. I haven't tried to fix my broken foot. You know, first things first, go to the doctor and then they will help you out, you know. And so I did. And that was um, scary for me because it became this thing of going, you know, people would say to me, oh, you don't want to be stuck on pills the rest of your life or, you know, stuff like that. Someone said to me the other day, oh, I don't want to go to the doctor, he'll just give me a pill. I said, yeah, so what's your point? <laughs> like, big deal. Yeah. Like, what's the problem with that? Yeah. You know, you you happily taking your Panadol, my diabetic friend's on insulin, mm-hmm. why can't you have an antidepressant, you know, and it just, I had to get up and over myself mm. along that line, and, and so I went along, and I was like, oh, I'm sad, you know, and and so they gave me an antidepressant to give it a try, and I felt very quickly like my normal self, I just felt like me had come back. Was it nice it, to see her after it all that It was so time? lovely. It was so lovely. It didn't give me superpowers. Mm-hmm. It didn't give me an unfair advantage on life. You know, we don't go up to someone in a wheelchair, but it's not really fair that you're on wheels. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it, didn't, it doesn't bring you up above everybody. It just, you don't get wings. You just get to do the dishes, you know, and yeah. it just brings you into. And so what that was able to do was just kind of pull me up just that little bit enough and then I started on the list of things to do. And so at that point I had to go, right now I kind of, I'm, I'm feeling better, now I need to implement. And so that's where I started looking at what was helping me. 
Mm-hmm. And the the four Fs that I talk about, Julia Grace and the F words that I talk about <laughs> now, was faith, fano, fullness, and forward focus. And those things were yes, I know you're looking at me, W H for fano. But, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, finding that time for meditation, that time for contemplation, and mm. finding um, you know prayer and peace and things that that gave me spiritual space mm-hmm. were amazing. People just having the right people around, being honest with enough people and inviting enough people into what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. That's the final um, element. Yeah, that's those people, yeah, relationships and mm. then fullness, just stuff that, you know, makes you come alive. So that's all your fitness, your food. Completely changed the way I eat. Fullness. Yeah. yeah. Eating yeah, fullness yeah, yeah. every yeah, time. Yeah, I got rid of the sugar. Oh, yeah. Um, but you didn't give up on cheese, did you? No. Okay. That's just not checking. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and then that focus of actually, I think, being able to go just, you know, reminding myself of the mantra that we are, that we are going to have some forward momentum. And the thing is, not one of those is a silver bullet. There's no, okay, just mm. do this and you'll be fine. Right. Um, it's just a list that you continually check off. It's not a list that you say, I've done it now. Okay, I've got fit now. <laughs> I'm full, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fixed. It's, it's probably just a, a bit like yoga checklist. Yeah, the yeah. practice. Like, yeah. am I am I practicing faith? Am I practicing fano? Am I practicing fullness? Yes. You know, yeah. just making sure Disciplines. over and over again. The disciplines. Yeah. There oh, you go. Damn it. <laughs> <sighs> That's yeah. a difficult word, though. I still struggle they with are. discipline. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. The D words. It's like the D words. Oh, uh, there's lots of them. Yeah. The great thing, though, is that because there are these practices available, these disciplines available. On any given day, you can do something and you don't have to do them all. Mm. You can just do one. You can just do, um, I'd say mental wellness issues, reasonable, under, uh, reasonable, universal. Uh, let me start that again. Reasonable, universal and manageable. So right. they make sense. Mm-hmm. We all deal with them and there's lots we can do about it. And that's basically the, that's my life and that's the sum of my message. And so the fact that going for a walk course it's not going to fix everything but it's a start it might help yeah it could be you know why not like let's just give it a go and so that's just doing those small things and I constantly have to practice what I preach mm-hmm. and that's harsh sometimes so how's the lizard these days <sighs> the lizard is so much calmer <laughs> although funnily enough a couple of days ago I um, wrote off my daughter's car Ouch. and I I Accelerated into that up, usually into goes the, the other way around. <laughs> I know my daughter normally runs. I know, isn't that <laughs> ironic? In our family, everything is round the wrong way. Um, yeah, and so I accelerated at speed into the back of a parked truck uh, with no seatbelt on because I was simply shifting the car, and uh, yeah, slammed into the front of the car, hit my head, and so it's been very interesting just to like. This is where the communicator in me. I'm there, I'm shaken, you know, the lizard is right there because I'm in fight or flight mode, I'm in shock, mm-hmm. I'm going all pale, I'm doing all funny things, everyone's around me, I'm crying, and this little voice on my shoulder is saying, this is going to be so great, she's going to do a really good blog on this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, shut up. Because something inside of me is stepping outside of me and observing. Mm. Because when you're in shock, your lizard brain is really full on. That lizard is just going, you know, all over the place. And so it reminded me of how I felt for mm. a long, long time. And the fact that I don't feel that way anymore. But over the next couple of days, if something dropped next to me, I'd, I'm very jumpy. Right. You know, just at the moment I got in the case today and I thought, what if I do it again? You know, what if I accidentally mm-hmm. run into something else? It's probably not going to happen, but those mm-hmm. things are there. And so um, the lizard doesn't have a lot to say nowadays at all. Because the lizard knows that my life is not in danger. But when something happens like that, it reminds us that our bodies are amazing. Mm. And they react in ways to save our lives. Thank goodness. Have you become more in tune with your own body through that experience? Far more. Yeah, far more. I'm so much more aware of um, how my physical feelings and my emotional feelings come together Mm. um so having done you know research on this and talking about things to do with the gut right you know and like 95 percent of the serotonin in your body is produced in the gut the second brain we Mm -hmm. call it and i was just like 
what? How did I not know this stuff? This is amazing. And so that, and then immediately you think, well, when you're nervous, where do you feel it? Mm-hmm. Butterflies in the tummy. You know, when you're freaking out, what do you get? You know, rushing to the toilet. And, you know, yep. these things happen in our bodies. And so I'm far more aware of the fact that when I feel something physically, that may actually have a real, you know, that connection with um, my emotional state my emotional well-being to listen to my body more Mm -hmm. to listen to my gut more to listen to my gut instinct more yeah I think it's fascinating how we so often talk about the mind and we talk about a head and we talk about you know Mm. mental wellness as if the brain isn't a living physical organ and I love the um, I love having the conversation with people around transformation one of the key things about changing anything in your life um, is to understand that your brain actually physically programs grey matter like little neural pathways are actual real little stringy things that happen in your brain and if you want them to be strong and healthy you have to do things over and over again to encourage and nurture them and and the ones that you don't use those little neural pathways they kind of fade away it's why you forget everything once you leave high school (laughs) because if you don't use yeah use it or lose it and so it's it's so fascinating to think about how yes uh, so much to do with uh, with what we consider to be kind of almost um, ethereal or kind of outside of yeah. our physical being yeah. is actually no completely ingrained in our physicality, yeah. which I think is so interesting. One of the things I've had to do and I've loved doing, particularly I've been working on a, a small group series of eight resources based around this. One of them is the brain zoo. We talk about Pat the lizard. Mm-hmm. It's with the lizard brain, the mouse brain and the monkey brain. You know, mm-hmm. you feed the mouse, you pat the lizard and you hug the monkey. And so putting language around that, but that whole concept of actually going, we, we can create, I've got one on, on neural pathways mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, our default settings, we drive down the road in our brain and something happens and my default setting says, I can do this later. You know, and I just exit into right. procrastination world because oh. that that highway has been taken. Uh-huh. I think there's an eight lane exit heading to I can do this later land, you know. And I would have just said, hey, that's my personality. That's just who I am. This is hardwired. Mm-hmm. I'm quirky like that. Or, you know, oh, hey, I've got a bit of depression, so I can't help it. And actually understanding that until you create another exit sign mm-hmm. that says I I will do this now. I have created a sign. I use it in that series, but like handmade, it's hanging on my wall and it says, I will do this and I can do this later. I've crossed it out and it says, I will do this now. And I've had to make a sign to remind Mm -hmm. myself. And so it's been interesting how I realize these things that are just our brain, they're just practices. Uh, Absolutely. And I, I could pray all day. You know, and I think, uh-huh. oh, we pray about stuff that we could just fix. You know, we're like, oh, God, make me fit. Uh, okay, so now we Lord, have to... Lord, yeah. make me fit. So we have to... Um, <laughs> there are five archetypes of uh, of transformation yeah. um, that I that I talk about. Um, one of which is the spiritualist. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to I'm gonna think about it. Yeah. I'm going to pray about it and it's going to happen. It's just going to... Whatever your spiritual practice is, you're just yeah. going to do enough of that oh, and then the transformation will happen. <laughs> I wish there we go. Well, so, yeah, okay. so there are different tools and strategies that I recommend to people once they've figured out what their archetype is right. and that's the spiritualist yeah. um, and then right down the other end of the spectrum there's uh, well there's the the burn it all down the burn it all down <laughs> and I'm just going to rebuild completely yeah. different that's the phoenix yeah. um, I've got right. a bit of fondness for the phoenix yeah. um, but just just slightly in from that is the um, the action hero yeah, <laughs> who's just yes. like, who's just? I'm just doing everything. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna yeah. change it all at once. I'm gonna yeah. do, it. and even if I just do it this one time, I'm gonna change something, and I'm gonna be different. Yes, <laughs> and the, and and you know, really like the 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 insight of being able to change, and I think being able to, you know, manage some of these challenges around mental mental wellness mm. actually happens if you come sort of into the middle. Mm. You know, where it's not just a matter of thinking about it mm. so that it happens, and not just a matter of doing everything, mm. um, but somehow doing a little bit of both. Because yeah. the other thing about the brain is that the brain isn't so capable of fake orgasm <laughs> like really good at it you can sit on a therapist's couch and you can just dive into uh, the inner workings of your mind and so discover helpful. a new insight yeah, yeah. right and what happens is that a new insight is simply your brain connecting two different ideas two different yeah. things that you know in a new way for the first time yeah. and the synapses are triggered and the neurons go all fizzy <laughs> yes. and it's like your brain is going oh, I'm 
Eureka, Eureka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the trouble is, is that if you don't do any action, if you don't yeah. do it now, mm. right, then nothing actually happens and yeah. it just ends up being a little bit of like, oh, yeah. this wasn't quite as good as it could have been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it kind of yeah. made all the right noises, yeah, but, but it didn't it really happen. <laughs> like a decaf coffee. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of which, how good is this espresso martini? Oh. <laughs> Hey, I, unexpected, and yet so fantastic. <laughs> so fantastic. Uh, if people wanted to uh, get in contact with you and find some of these resources and maybe yeah. hear you speak, what's the best way of them contacting you? juliagrace.co.nz, so straight onto there. Um, there's a whole lot of links and resources through there. Our Facebook is very busy, and so I've got a lot of stuff on there, a whole lot of little short videos. Um, we're booking up constantly for the three parts of what I do, keynote speaking, which combines the songs, the humour, the the fun, <laughs> the honesty, the stories. Um, the the small group resource, which we're developing at the moment, is going to be available early next year. And then the online community. So just being in a place where I'm constantly, you know, updating with inspiration, little things that people can just put into practice and share with those around them. And I say that, you know, having talked about it, half the job is done. Mm. But it's nice to continue the conversation. Hey, thank you so much for coming and being part of this conversation today. Such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transformationist. We hope that the journey doesn't stop here. For more information about this episode and materials we referenced, please visit thetransformationist.org or join the Facebook group for more conversation about this week's episode. Just search for The Transformationist by Tash McGill on Facebook. This episode was written and produced by Tash McGill with production support from Truthwork Media and music is by Hans Van Vliet. The Transformationist is brought to you by Solar Feeder Consulting and TashMcGill.com. 